So are we geeks for life or what? Uh, it appears so. <laughs> the question is how long we're I would, oh, <laughs> How long is there left? I was just trying to think of exactly when and how we met, and I can't come up with it. Yeah. Did we see you play at Robbinsdale or something? Mm -hmm. You know, I it, it was actually, it, that was exactly what I was going to do as my first question to you. How <laughs> did we meet? Um, and I, I don't have uh, an exact recollection, uh, but I'm thinking, because, you know, you and I went to different high schools. Right. That's what's weird. Yeah, um, and so the uh, the only commonality uh, might be um, Dennis Libby. No, 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 no. This is before <laughs> that. No, this is before that. Uh, it, I think it was. Uh, uh, I used to get together and play guitar with um, a friend in St. Louis Park, um, and uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Arnold? No, I try to think his name. Oh, God. But uh, that's also where I met Owen. Uh, but I but I met you, obviously, before Owen. And Not sure. Uh, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure because, you know, we were doing ham radio and building, you know, VCRs and cameras and things like that before uh, and all that. Yeah, but uh, uh, you know, it's really unfortunate because I don't remember exactly the point of first contact. Uh, All right, well, let's let's move on then from there to this. So this is your uh, what did we call these QRK QSL? They're QSL, QSL cards it's on the bottom, lower left. Yeah, QSL I have to think cards. about that too. Yeah. So that's, and, there's yours. Here's a terrible photograph. It was from a Polaroid of mine. Uh huh. The ham. You think about right. the ham on the left. Uh, I got and it. we've got a couple of photos. Let's wait a minute. This is mine, but where's yours? Uh, do you remember what uh, what your uh, transmitter was there? No, uh, quite a few things in the right corner. there. It was a Viking Valiant. My uh -huh. dad had a had an account with those people. So that's me with my cardigan sweater, probably Saturday night with no girls in sight. Right. And here's the equivalent with yep. the round TV. What's exactly. that little? Yeah. Yeah. No, I used to take, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the characteristics of, of a geek uh, is that you would love to take things apart. Right. To, to, to see how they tick. And and that's how you learn. And it keeps you interested. Um, and, uh, you know, that together, I think, with... Uh, maybe a, a like for science fiction uh, makes all this kind of mixture work. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, surprisingly, uh, a lot of uh, uh, musicians are love to tinker as well. You know, there's a lot of commonality, the same part of the brain, I think. So, um, you know, we, you know, together we enjoyed a lot of these, you know, common hobbies uh, going back to uh, not only the ham, but remember I had the 40-foot, uh, you also had a, uh, a large tower. And the tower, yeah. 
feet, a 20 foot beam or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, when I think about it, uh, how nice it was that my parents allowed me to put this big tower in the backyard. I know, right? We're shadowing the house. <laughs> I mean, with HOAs today, that's, you know, very difficult to happen. Uh, but, but that was, Bob, uh, ham radio was like the first social network. Oh, it was. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I absolutely. even met. I even met young women up in California when we were on repeaters, local, you know. Uh-huh. I actually met girls there. But anyway, that all led us to this. Uh, yeah, then we got into uh, uh, music. Yeah, the vigilantes. So we actually, we probably, I mean, obviously we had to get together, you know, as a duo uh, before we formed the band. Uh, but uh, I, again, I, I don't recall how we recruited uh, the band members. I, I know, you know, Rick Beresford uh, was on the left. Uh, Jim. Uh, Jim Madison. Madison. But, you know, there's another photo of us with Mike Mock, too. And that was, we were the Jaguars or something like that. No, that, yeah, that's right. It was called the Jaguars. I mean, we changed names with Trebleman. We had about 15. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I'm glad. Yeah, I was trying to think about that. Yeah, the tre But this is the only, you have a picture of uh, uh, Mike Mock. Was that, the, you said, the, the Jaguars at the time? I, yeah, who does? Yeah, yeah. But um, we, look, we look pretty much the same, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Look at that. Oh, look at this. This oh, is that's... after that. Oh, that's we, many we, years we, after. This so is I, I'm at the wrong. I'm at the wrong slide here. Let me find the high spirits first of all. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is there we go. So that's yeah. you in, kind of in the middle, in the center front there. Sitting down, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little about this band. This was a band who that had a regional hit. Called, uh, Turn on your love light. It yeah. actually was a um, <clears throat> Bobby Blubland. Bobby Blubland, um, the re-recording of it. And uh, actually, I had joined them uh, shortly after uh, it became a hit. So uh, I replaced, I think, Dave Rifkin, if I'm not mistaken. Was he in uh, that band? I think he was, yeah. And and Dave Rifkin, for people who don't know, went on to be David's, David Z, a Nashville producer, and now he's back in L.A. And his brother, uh, his yeah, his brother, Bobby Z, played with Prince and... You know, every all these people that you, you and I knew actually went on, well, not all, but many of them went on to do things. Owen also yeah. went on to do big things. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you guys, so you guys, this this is your one of your publicity photos. You guys toured the Midwest, basically. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, um, in fact, uh, I had actually sent you, you know, before our uh, recording here, a uh, an old. Actually, it was the first issue of a publication uh, by the booking agency that would book all these bands called Central Alliance. Central, yeah. And in there, uh, you'll see a number of the bands uh, and the touring dates and where they're going to be at. So you'll see uh, High Spirits, uh, you know, at, at uh, different um, um, ballrooms across, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, I don't know if we did Iowa, but, uh, you know, the memories, uh, yeah, there are two types of memories for bands. One is the girls, right? And the other is the struggles, uh, <laughs> and, 
you know, the hardship, you know, uh, we would go and travel uh, in the middle of winter uh, across states and in a, like a Volkswagen type van. And I'll never forget where the heater went out and we were just freezing all the way there and all the way back. But that's because you didn't have uh, dancers with you like I did <laughs> in uh, well, whatever band. We, we toured did. with we toured with uh, a, a girls group and go go dancers at one time, and we were all in this one Econoline van. Oh, that so was we fun. didn't need a heater. And I'm not saying anything happened, okay? Uh-huh. But uh, you know, nor anything that any of the guys wished. But the point is, there were so many people, and there it was hot. Yeah. <laughs> so you went on. So you and I did this, and then I went out to play in bars. And mm -hmm. you know, you can't get these jobs anymore, by the way. But I actually was salaried for a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, in the late '60s uh, when you guys were touring, and you know, we we did our Frogginess Friends and all that. And then, um, and I think I've got the right thing here. What is this? This is uh, still a high spirits. Okay. Next time is. Did we show the Leon thing yet? Um, no, we did. So you went, yeah, because you went on to. Well, actually, I had when I before I I I um I went to California after right. I graduated University of Minnesota. Uh, I had an electrical engineering degree, and uh, came out to work um in an aerospace firm, Hughes Aircraft, but um I did that for. A couple of years, but then I, I actually came back to Minnesota for about maybe nine months to play in a band called Allison Bristol. I remember and we, we played, you know, in a place called Arturo's and a, a couple other bars. But then I, you know, I, I wasn't happy. We, I came back to California. But you were in California all that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then we met up um, again and... Uh, I started working in uh, uh, the recording studios uh, in uh, Hollywood. So I worked at Sound Recorders, Paramount, and um, uh, these were very prominent uh, recording studios. And uh, many, you know, I very fortunate uh, I got the job only because I happened to work for a company in Hollywood that uh, manufactured uh, recording consoles for radio and studios. And <clears throat> I can go into the story a little bit about how that happened, if you like. Sure. Um, I, I, w I was always uh, very interested in working in the studio, but I had never been in one. But I was always on the outside designing uh, these consoles. And one day my uh, boss came up to me uh, and said, uh, there's an opening in uh, a studio uh, in Hollywood called Sound Recorders. And... Uh, they need an engineer, uh, and I know you. You know you'd love to do that. And uh, while I'd hate to lose you, um, you know why don't you interview? So I, I, uh, I went over there and uh, I talked to uh, I think his name Armin Steiner. Uh, he was the owner of the studio, and he hired me right away. Didn't even ask me any questions. Like yeah. I've done this before, and because if he would have, I would have said, you know, I could have been honest and said no. <laughs> but he didn't. He just assumed I did. So I got the job without ever been in a recording studio in my life other than, you know, to to, to walk in to, to look at a console. And he said, uh, uh, we have a 100-piece orchestra coming in on uh, the end of the week. 
uh, nothing is working and uh, I need to get everything up and working and ready to go. Uh -huh. And I didn't know anything about the equipment and other than what was there with the manuals. So I spent basically the next 48 hours uh, reading and playing and doing whatever I needed to do. And I got it all running and it was a uh, success. <laughs> but it took a lot of nerve for me to do that because, uh, you know, at that age, you're a little bit more bolder. And, uh, you know, you, you try to, you know, you extend yourself out beyond what you, <laughs> you know, you think you can do. But, you know, that happened and that got me entrenched in that area. So that was uh, fun. And, and, and that led, you know, to um, uh, doing um, uh, some outside jobs. I, weird things like uh, uh, I was hired by Ella Fitzgerald to uh, install her, uh, create and design and install a burglar alarm uh, for her house. And uh, I, I met her and uh, uh, also she liked it. And so she had me design her audio uh, system for her home as well. So, yeah, I did that. And then um, I went on to uh, uh, work. Um, actually, uh, there was a break. Uh, I, I decided to go back to school and uh, get my master's degree in uh, engineering. Uh, and uh, uh, for the summer, I was looking for a job. This is what's leading up to your picture. Uh, and I happened to notice in the UCLA Career Center uh, posting for a uh, engineer, uh, sound engineer. So I answered it and I called, and it was Leon Russell who answered the <laughs> phone. And uh, you know, I, he immediately hired me because you know, I told him my background. I used to work in Hollywood, and then uh, started a short career with Leon and traveling. And I did things. Uh, we went all over the country, which was really a, you know, a lot of fun. This is an example. We were in Chicago. This is back, uh, backstage. Uh, but um, we had, um, uh, it, it was a very interesting time and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, had a good, um, uh, it was a good experience, um, a good, good way to travel. Uh, it wasn't easy, but uh, there was a lot of fun. And I, you know, Randy, you, you know, traveled and done much more than I have in that area. So I just had a small sliver of that. But it, uh, it was, it, it was, I knew it wasn't going to be a career for me, but I knew, you know, I, I still wanted to go back because it was a summer vacation. I continued with Leon for about another year. But then uh, uh, after that, I, I decided to go back and finish my master's degree and uh, go on and do other things. I think what's interesting, Bob, is that you're working with a guy who is really important to the history of music. I, I don't know. You know, today, I don't know. He died, what, a few years ago? I yeah, think. he did. Yeah. Uh, but his work was was absolutely amazing at the time. And he was a, he was a huge star in a way that um, like a Tom Waits almost type thing, but maybe not quite, but big time guy. In real musicality, you know, real mm -hmm. soulful stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, during that time, we'll show a couple of these. During that time, so I was in uh, 72 with the Pure Food Drug Act, Don Harris. Who you yes, see, uh, I remember them. Uh, right. And I've <laughs> with the long hair on the right and my mm -hmm. 
I borrowed a soprano sax from somebody, I think. And uh, that's Harry Mundell on the left, Paul Lagos, mm-hmm. Victor Cotty, Don Sugarcane Harris. And then uh, from that gig, I knew Larry Taylor, who was played with Tom Waits and all those people. Mm-hmm. Larry played with everybody. He's the encyclopedia. He died a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He was the encyclopedia of rock and roll. He played with everybody from Jerry Lee Lewis, the Monkees. He's played on all those wow. bands. This is the John Mayall, uh, one of the inside cover of the band. But the point is, anyway, that was that was that. And then you and I also had this commonality of going, okay, there's not any more money to be made here. But we're going to have family to support. So we're going to do something else, right? So um, I went on to do various things. But you you created, I don't know when this was, you're going to tell us, uh, future video and those activities, mm-hmm. unless there was something in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. Um uh, uh, at the time, um, when I, when I finished college, well, actually when I finished, uh, uh, my graduate degree, I, uh, started a company with my brother, um, to create a database management systems software for, uh, microcomputers up until that time, uh, everything was run on a mini computer or a full a frame, a frame a computer, and um, uh, he had worked with uh, one of the uh, originators of uh, the uh, relational database uh, management system uh, design, uh, COD. Uh, he developed this idea of relational databases rather than hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they implemented this at the University of Michigan and then my brothers thought it might be a, a great idea to be able to put this at the time. Microcomputers were coming out, and each government agency could have their own uh, computer with a, a, a database management system to manage uh, their um, uh, employees and uh, uh, specifically unemployment activities. And uh, so we got to, I, at the same time, I was just happened to be getting into microcomputers. I bought a kit uh, from a group, uh, from a company in uh, Colorado called the Digital Group. They made a computer kit. This was a little bit after the Altair computer came out. And I built this computer up. It didn't work. And, and, and that's the way I learned about computers because I had to figure out, you know, why it didn't work. And so I had to study and understand how, it, how a computer should work. And then, so we, we took that, at that time, I'd mentioned that to him, and then we came up and said, well, why don't we, you know, satisfy a need and use microcomputers? And so I wrote the first uh, relational database management system for uh, microcomputers. In fact, if you go into the Smithsonian, uh, there is a, a disk that says Condor uh, Computer. And I wrote that entirely in uh, assembly language. There were no higher level languages at that time. Not even BASIC was ready for uh, the microcomputer. So I wrote the entire thing in an assembly language. And what, then we. What OS is this? Is this CPM? It would be under uh, CPM. Yeah. Yeah. It was... See, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days when a 4K card <laughs> was a lot of memory. And uh, a ten a mega megabyte 
hard drive, which was the size of a wheelbarrow, uh, was attached to the to the actually five, I should say. Uh, I actually had to write the basic I/O for a, um, a hard drive, uh, uh, five megabytes, and it it was lent to us by um, one of the Japanese companies, but it literally came in a truck. <laughs> and and you had, it was like about 100 pounds that I had to bring it up to my apartment. <laughs> and I had to do that. I mean, what a change in technology. Uh, and I think that's one of the thrilling things that you know we've seen in our lifetime is this incredible rapid change in technology. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's crazy. Uh, I worked at a company where we had a 300 megabyte drive that was, um, what do you call it? It's removable. So it's like a cake platter. I right. don't know all those things. Yeah. It was a cake platter. So it's like, you know, this big. And uh, it was 300,000. It was 300,000 francs. So if you divide that by six, probably $50,000 mm-hmm. for a 300 megabyte drive. Right. Yeah, uh, and then we put those on tape because they would fail, you know, and all that. But anyway, yeah, right now uh, you're looking at a like a 256 gigabyte thumb drive, right? And going, okay, yeah. The first diskettes we went from was the first one one tw- no, it wasn't even twenty. There were sixty four, I think sixty four kilobyte. Yeah, K, right. Yeah, right. One twenty eight double density. Hello. Then, uh, then those were the smaller. The, the, then, they, then we went to the three twenties, the smaller, five and a, the three and a quarter, three and a right. half. And then, uh, of course, then they came out with uh, you know DVD. But you know, you think you thought of a DVD as having so much room, but it really doesn't compared yeah. to you know, a, you know, a micro SD card, a five hundred twelve gigabyte uh, micro SD card. Uh, it's it's incredible uh, what can be packed in, in such a small space. I'm looking. Well, okay, so this is 64, but in fact, that same size you could it could be 256 uh, easily, or one terabyte more. Yeah, really, they have a thumb drive, USB drive. I think they are. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, I've got I've got a gig here that's the cigarette pack size, really. Yeah, I know. But I mean, that's that's for you. I mean, yeah. I mean, I bought uh, you know through thirty-two gigabyte, uh, f- like for five bucks for a little micro SD card. I mean, it's it's crazy, and uh, that's the only thing that goes down in price. That's why I can still afford to buy gadgets and geeks because uh, geeky things because uh, uh, electronics prices uh, you know are so cheap. It's nuts. It's crazy because. If you look at the one, the dollar, if we would have gone to Acme liquidating, right, and bought, you know, for four dollars worth of something, that's already like fifty today. Right. At the same time, um, you know, chips and all these different. I mean, I, how many devices do I have here? Uh, actually, nothing within reach. But all of this stuff is just so incredibly cheap now compared to what it was. Uh, getting, you know, I've got a couple of clips here. One of them, the oldest one I'm going to show is the Beatles uh, incident. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to yeah, that was through. an amazing, uh, uh, when you were working for B-Sharp Music. Right, uh, and this is- You like, had the honor 
of being able to bestow a string to a very famous artist at the time. Yeah, and here it is. And so the four Beatles are applauding me as I walk up to the stage. Here it is. Much faster. We're talking about our hobbies and our geekdom. I've got, oops, I just dropped my little pad there. I have the clip. By the way, the limits of these things, the clips need to be under 30 seconds. So I have a clip of the robot, your second video that you sent me of the robot. Okay. I comment this. I, I'm assuming that these two, the little things that you see are magnets, right? That guide it or something? No, 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 no. It, 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 you program a, every position. And oh. every every move of the um, of the arm, there's oh, six okay. degrees of freedom. So you have to uh, uh, program in exactly, uh, you know, what position for each uh, of the um, uh, parts of the arm would be going where. So oh, well, well it, it actually um, it 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 they have a, a, a fairly easy way to do it. Uh, uh, what you do is you actually position the arm to where you want it to go and then record the, the positions in this little program they provide. So uh, I move it to that position, record it, and then I'll uh, make some adjustments, and then um, you can then operate the, uh, the arm from that position and then say grip. So it's a little gripper that grips the blocks it's, or grips it... the pieces of yeah, I don't know which one you've got. I've it's got interesting. Well, you you'll see and you can comment on this, but it's only it's only like about twenty five seconds long. Yeah. There's a limit here, but let us know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, every movement that you see here is is being run on a program uh, that they provide, and you just basically uh, run this program to do each of these operations. And you can see every part part of this arm, six different servos. That control its position, and then the speed, you know, you can uh, set. But it's an interesting. Uh, it, it's it. You know, it's not a toy, but it's not you know a professional thing either. But it it I I also did that uh, and had it play tic tac toe, so mm -hmm. I created a, an actual program uh, in a kind of like a, a C uh, plus plus type uh, language. Uh, to actually figure out the move. So you would make the move, and then I would just simply tell it what move I made by entering it on a keyboard to say I moved to position, you know, X, Y, and then it would figure out the, the next move to make and then pick up the piece and place it into that part. So I put that on Hackster, uh, <laughs> and I had a lot of views of that. It's also on YouTube, too, but... Uh, it's it, it it's it's a lot of fun to uh, to play with, and I had it uh, even do uh, serve drinks, you know, to uh, make a mixed drink with it. So 
<laughs> you had a bartender program or something. Yeah, right? yeah, I, I had to do that too. It's it's uh, uh, you know, but you know, it's like any technology. There are little glitches, and you have to figure out why you know it didn't do this, and that's part of the challenge of uh, being a geek is because things don't always work the way you think they're going to work, and then you have to do a lot of troubleshooting, and you have to have a tremendous amount of patience uh, to do this because, uh, you know, most people will give up if it doesn't work the first time. <laughs> so the flavor of the month now is AI. Everybody's talking about it. I don't know how much. I've played with the chat GPT quite a bit. And most of my album covers now, I mean, what I start with is always an AI representation mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I can't afford to pay, you know, the music, the money that my music brings in uh, is uh, a negative. Okay. Yeah. Lose, it's lost leader. So, you know, I can't pay uh, even a cheap illustrator would cost at least $50 to do an album cover. And that would sure. be the greatest album sure. cover. Yeah. So all my, anyway, that's the graphical part. Uh, a generative AI, but also ChatGPT. I have actually played with it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a. Some people call it a uh, an a um, an auto uh, complete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's pretty simplified, but yeah, you know they bring in these models. And what's interesting, and you don't know this yet, but I'm going to tell you, I had a bunch of stuff on. Pond Five, which is one of these sites where you can sell music and photos mm -hmm. for royalty free. And they made a deal with somebody and they didn't tell anybody. And all of a sudden I got a check for like maybe 50, 60, not a check, got a credit for 50 or $60. Mm -hmm. And it says data partners. And I looked into it. I said, well, what does that mean? Looked into it. And in fact, they sold everybody's uh, input, you know, artistic stuff, music or photos yeah. to some uh, large uh, language model, some somebody who was doing sucking in the AI stuff. And then they shared the stuff with us, and then they then they made it opt in. But first they did it, and then they made it opt yeah. in. Anyway, ah, I'm ah. I'm fine with that. I mean, hey, yeah, I I kept it opt in, but yeah. I mean, it's kind of shabby that they did. Yeah, the way they went around first. about it. Yeah. So there's a lot of controversy about that, Bob, and and mm -hmm. things that you created, and if you think about it as a coder, um. Code can be reused, and so it's out there. Especially if it's um, if it's open source, it's out there. And you know these machine these <clears throat> these databases suck in every possible thing that's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all your libraries and all that are mm -hmm. going to be available, and it's going to be reused. So I don't know. Yeah. Why are you on all of that? And have you messed with any of these things at all? Yeah. No, I've used uh, uh, Chat uh, GPT. I've used Bard. Uh, I've used uh, labs to synthesize voices. I'm sure you've you've played with some of these. Um, and I think uh, from my experience uh, that uh, it, it, it you can't really rely on it uh, because you might it, it gives you erroneous many times it'll give you wrong information and you'll think of it. Uh, as if as if it was you know right, um, I I tried it for a couple of things. I even tried something very simple. I tried this in both Bard and uh, ChatGPT to transpose the song "Something" uh, by George Harrison uh, from the key of C to the key of A, and it did a miserable job. It wasn't even close. 
but it presented itself as, you know, this is what it is, and just bring it down two semitones, and but it didn't do it right. It's totally wrong. Uh, there are a couple other examples that don't come to mind, but I tried. Uh, oh yeah, I would ask, you know, for example, how do you do this? You know, with the uh, how, how do I make uh, a setting or have a program do this? And it failed miserably. It, it says you go to this, you do that, and it was totally wrong. So I think we rely on it too much, uh, or people are beginning to rely on it, thinking that it's uh, it, it, it's an absolute uh, genius, and it's not. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes it makes. And I think well, you heard about the lawyer, the lawyer who filed a brief based on an answer of Chat GPT, and it was totally yeah. All the, refer- all the references were yeah. Bad. No, you really have to be idiotic to to look at it and go, "This is it." Yeah. Well, on the other hand, I mean, I well, I've used it to rewrite things, and it did a good job. But then you, I rewrite the rewrite it, the rewritten thing. Yeah. But you can't. The facts are not straight, and I've done a lot of experimenting with it. And you're right. I mean, the facts, the it it is not factual. It makes stuff up. It I does. did ask. Does. It, I did ask it. First, I asked when the wheel was invented, and it came up with something that may or may not have been true and then it said that the, the wheel may have been invented uh by the chinese in such and such a time and then i i said well could art could an artificial intelligence invent the wheel and it said it didn't think that an artist think you know it said an artificial it's unlikely that an ai could invent the wheel because before the wheel there was no prior art if you will no previous experience and that's my strong feeling is that this thing can work. It can manipulate words, and it, it does great with graphics, by the way. Really, yeah, I've done it too. Work. And so it can do a lot of great things, and it can manipulate language in many, many ways, and it can hide plagiarism, and you can cheat, and you could screw people out of crypto scams and all kinds of stuff. But it can't really invent the stepladder or anything if it hasn't. Okay, so ladder already exists. A basic but, element, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can't invent something that, to me, intelligence was the was the wheel, or the first person who uh, invented. Because something like fire is not an invention. Somebody, you know, fire started, and somebody, hey, that's fire. Oh, it's hot, great. <laughs> but that's not intelligence. That's yeah. just figuring out yeah. exploitation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, could you? Uh, it, it would have been. A, the question is: Could you? Would it have been able to invent uh, uh, G, um, uh, GPS or the internet? You know, would it be able to say that's the thing? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and I did ask it. I'm losing it here because I had a really good example and I totally forgot it. Now uh, I asked it about something. I did ask it about grave digging. I asked it how long it takes to dig a grave as one man with a shovel and with equipment. And it came up with the fact that it would be at least five to 10 times faster to dig a grave with a uh, backhoe. And what I was, the reason I asked that question is because I thought writing, no, because the relation is that the the AI is like a backhoe. Uh It can create text much faster than you or I could. So I thought that's it, you know. But there, well, was, there was, oh, uh, God, I did. It's terrible. I, <laughs> I had a very specific thing I wanted to say about a use for it that, that really worked out. Uh, maybe I'll add this in later. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I, I tried, you know, I asked it to, you know, to write a, a small computer program in C Sharp. And it, it seemed to be, you know, okay. It was a very simple idea. Um, but, uh, uh, I, you know, you have to remember, uh, this is nothing new. AI has been around for a long time. In fact, yeah. the, the, uh, the Japanese back in the, um, I think the late 60s or early 70s, I had a thing called the Fifth Generation Project. And this was their attempt to, you know, develop AI and make it a, uh, you know, useful tool. And uh, it failed miserably. Now, uh, part of it was because we didn't have the computing power. Uh, but uh, I think there were other reasons why it, it never, you know, they had to abandon it. But this, this, this is uh, nothing new. And, and right now, I think we're floating in a bubble, you know, with yeah. And I think, you know, reality will hit and it'll, it'll, it'll get better. But I think the expectations are way beyond, you know, the capabilities of what uh, these programs and the deep learning, you know, algorithms can do. A lot of uh, hype. Yeah, a lot of hype. Uh, a lot of hype. Um, but, uh, you know, that um, I think it, whether or not, you know, philosophically is a good idea because, you know, I mean, we use GPS to navigate us to get us from point A to P, to B, and uh, I find myself uh, not thinking about how to get there, and I can't get back if I don't put the navigation back on again, right? right? Because you get lazy, and I don't know if uh, we get to the point that we don't, you know, really begin. We stop thinking and. Uh, all the things that make us uh, smart, uh, you know, will prevent us from doing so if we rely too much. I mean, you can argue all the calculator, how many how many people sit down there and do long math, uh, not the calculator. But I think, you know, we become lazy. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, the example I was trying to remember, I remembered while you were oh, talking, okay. which is, which, no, it's just that I asked, so I went to ChatGPT and I said, how do I... Um, how do I automate a tweet so that I can, you know, from the co from the console, in other words, because I've done this in PHP years ago. How do I tweet something uh, using the Twitter API? And it did, you know, uh, generate a script and the script worked as it was generated. But again, so what? You could go to Stack Overflow or something, whatever people do now, and do exactly the same thing. So the point is that you can, I mean, I do think that you can do things five times faster, like asking it for that, uh, worked very well, you know, because the code actually worked. I mean, I still had to mess with it and understand uh, how to at least manipulate it, but it did work. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that there was no point in doing it, so that was useless. Yeah, <laughs> it all depends. I mean, I like the idea, you know, I, in fact, I, I use the, um, the open AI to generate a, um, uh, uh, a surrealism picture of Rod Stewart. Yeah. Uh, what I did is uh, my wife, Kelly, uh, she's always uh, wanted to uh, go see Rod Stewart. We've actually we did before, but I, for her birthday, I got her tickets uh, to see Rod Stewart in Vegas here last uh, in April or May, whatever it was. And, uh, uh, I presented to her a picture of Rod Stewart 
uh, um, that I created with text. And uh, I said, you know, got this. Uh, I said, this is a painting I made of Rod Stewart, claiming credit for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, this is your birthday present. And she was so thrilled. And I said, but, you know, open up the envelope. And then she, she found the tickets for the concert. But, Excellent. but I, I, you know, again, I used it for something, you know, innocuous like that. I mean, it didn't have to be a perfect rendition of him, but it was, it was, it was, you know, obviously you could see it was um, Rod Stewart and it did a very good job. Now, as a musician, <clears throat> you know, this is something that not only artists get trained, but as a musician, you know, you can create music uh, as well. And people are doing this instead of paying, you know, royalties for uh, music. How do you feel about that? Well, first of all, I do that all the time. I have a program that generates ambient uh, music and I play on it, mm-hmm. put it out. And that's some of my most successful stuff is actually yoga and ambient music because I mix what this generator, which is, I guess, random kind of, you know, they're drones and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mix that with a uh, live saxophone or guitar. And so it makes it, you know, unique. It's my stuff. But, you know, now they can imitate voices and there's been a bunch of work done with that. You know, you know about that. Right. It's, it's just it's an interesting thing because um, we always build on what's come before. So you and I play guitar. We played the Ventures Licks and the B.B. King. I mean, you cannot. That's it's fair. very rare that somebody comes out with something brand new. Uh, you know, Jimmy, there's not that many Jimi Hendrix's. In, in one lifetime. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. Well, that's that's true. And, and, and it, it, But the fact is, I think maybe there'll be fewer and fewer because yeah. if we rely more and more on these programs to do the creative, uh, what we call creative, uh, there may not be any more people that create because well, they don't have the big- knowledge. That's a big problem because there's a very funny, I don't know if you know, familiar with the TV series uh, Black Mirror on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the new season, the first episode has, and Selma, Selma Hayek is in it. Mm-hmm. It's very funny, but it's also very creepy. And it has to do with, you know, using actors' images. And you've seen this in the news. All kinds of actors are working with uh, studios where they're going to be using their image after they're dead. Right. But they're probably cashing in. If they're famous enough, they're probably cashing in, which is fine. I mean, whatever. Yeah. The but they're not making that, anywhere near the money, though, that they would make if they were. Well, making, if they're dead. They're, no, I know. But <laughs> the money, whatever money's coming in, not yeah. good, you know. Good for the family, yeah. But uh, all kidding aside, the point is, losing my hat. But the point is that uh, that's because it's such a mess in back. I don't want Dark. to show uh, <laughs> The point is that that can all be done, and it's getting it's getting better and better, and we're seeing all the fake voices. They're already you know music out. I've got some music I put out with a with a computer voice just for fun, but I mean yes, you're right. I mean there's going to be less and less because the studios want to pay less and less money, and everybody all the music licensing. By the way, if you want to put a Beatles track, even a Beatles like track from an imitation band. Very expensive. Yeah. But if you're just paying the publishing and generating it from some kind of AI, 
it, it would be relatively cheap, probably, yeah. or uh, some kind of uh, lookalike. Anyway, there's a great potential of saving money, and the sa the money that you're saving is money that normally would be going to artists. So yes, it's a little difficult to swallow, but I'll be dead, so who cares? Yeah. Well, I think that's that's. It's, I mean, it, you would be uh, um, likely not to be too happy if someone was using your music and not paying your royalty for it. And uh, but if you know that somebody can generate something very similar to what you've written by listening to it, just slightly yeah. changing it, uh, that would kind of make you a little bit uh, unhappy as well, wouldn't it? I mean, no, because I do that all the time. <laughs> well, so does everybody. No, I mean, yeah, everybody. As I said, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, and so a lot of music that I create or that anybody creates, I mean, hip hop is create, hip hop is, is largely created from our old R and B stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it's all this process where nothing new is really invented. It just goes a little bit further, but but yeah, I mean, there's a yeah, little. It, 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 it's it's not so much that I'm talking about, you know, the invention part. I'm talking about the fact that you know, if this is something you do for a living, and uh, you can be replaced by a program uh, that, that that you know, you don't re you don't make a living, and that well, that's, that's the problem. That's exactly the case of a couple of graphic artists, many graphic artists. Yeah, he's exactly. a cartoonist who is suing uh, because uh, they've got an AI that's producing stuff that looks exactly like her work. Exactly. It isn't her work, and so uh, and we maybe we'll end with this idea that what what artists are asking for, <clears throat> excuse me, what artists are asking for is CCC, which is which is consent, credit, and compensation. So if you look at it that way, it's logical. If you want to take, I mean, I'm speaking as if I were this graphic artist, this cartoonist. If you want to take my work and use it in your AI, feel free to do so. But you have to ask me first to get consent. You have to give me credit and you have to compensate me. The rest is the details are in the negotiation. Okay. But that makes perfect sense to me. I don't know, you know, being the way the courts are, Going through the courts for this kind of thing, we'll all be dead. She'll be dead. I'll be dead. You'll be dead uh, before anything gets decided on this. So mm -hmm. this is a period where we're talking about the Wild West, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, they yeah. can't do anything. But the bottom line of all of this is that, and I think you must find this, find this as funny as I do. So, you know, people are saying, and by people I mean Elon Musk, uh, what's the guy's name from uh, Sam, whatever his name is, and all these people from the big AI, we need to do a moratorium of six months to yada yada, you know, right. And then uh, they're going to do a moratorium where they're going to be working in secret to beat the Chinese who are not respecting the moratorium, probably. Right. right. The point is, this is all a bunch of hype. It resembles a little bit cryptocurrency and all this bubble thing you know we live in we live in a time of bubbles when you and i were kids and we were playing in the vigilantes there wasn't any of this bubbles of everybody's getting rich you know then it was like getting an accounting degree right, right. <laughs> you know, go to college get an engineering right. exactly now it's like yeah it's new so yeah it's it's, it's a little scary it's a little yeah crazy. it is but um you know again um 
you know, the kids are growing up with this and, you know, they're, they, they feel very comfortable with this as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see my grandchildren, you know, I mean, they, uh, at one year old there, they know the gestures, how to do it on the, on the phone. I mean, it's like, what, you know, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what other technology we should talk about, um, is VR and AR because, uh, yeah. this is again, ramping up. In fact, yeah. I've been looking uh, at, uh, some uh, glasses made by X uh, and what's called Xreal and uh, uh, Rokid, uh, and these are you know uh, 3D glasses. And mm-hmm. These are much lighter, you know, than the the uh, helmets, you know, that you put on the big goggles. And these are fascinating to me because now they, for two reasons, they they you know they create a you know a cool environment. If you're going to go on a plane, you can watch a you know big screen. But I, I'm interested from a drone point of view, uh, because I fly drones, and uh, it's very difficult, you know, looking at the screen uh, in sunlight. And uh, there's FPV gro- drones, which are first-person view drones, uh, which they they do require goggles. But they're big, you know, things like that. But with these VR-type glasses, um, it opens up, I think, uh, a lot of opportunity for different applications. And I've been watching them. They're still very expensive, you know, between three to, you know, maybe five hundred dollars uh, for these these new types of glasses. But they're fascinating because uh, you've got both AR and VR, augmented and uh, virtual reality, um, in, in these pair. And you can do things that maybe you couldn't do before, like have multiple screens uh, before you, and take just have a, a lot of it is being used for gaming too. But I yeah. think that's a fascinating area, and uh, I'm just waiting for the, the the prices to come down to to try it. But uh, uh, that, to me, uh, is is a way to create this 3D world around you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's ever going to be 3D, you know, in the room projection without some sort of special glasses or whatever. Uh, but uh, or maybe this is the way it's going to be done. But I think that. To be able, you'll be able to be, you know, you and I could essentially be in the same room right. virtually, and I think that could be an exciting technology that would, more than looking at a flat screen, uh, to actually be able to move around and look at each other, uh, other than you know touch. I think it would be an amazing thing, and I think it'll happen, but I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime. Well, everybody's talking about the Apple thing, which costs $3,000 and is apparently really cool and all that. I'm not a huge VR. uh, I like the idea of AR, but VR, you know, whatever. I get the gaming thing. I'm not a gamer, so I don't care. But but I understand. And and by the way, boy, games have really, I mean, come along incredible. You know, have they? Yeah. Graphics, and that's all due to the technology behind the chips. Uh, But yeah, I I, I agree. I think that's going to be a big thing. And as I think you know, I wrote a science fiction book about uh, what's happening in 2052, where a lot of this stuff is part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's a spoiler. Porn plays a big part in VR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, no, it, as it was, well, as it did in the Internet in general. One of the yeah, things it, it promoted. Right. Yeah, it did. It really did. And after porn, it was music, so I'm happy. I'm good. <laughs> Look at the music being a big thing on the internet. Yeah. Anyway, so 
that's a good place to end thinking about what the future is. And I think you're right. The VR is one big, big thing. And once the thing comes down from $3,000 to $30, I'll be very interested in getting the No. Yeah, like how it's money. Yeah. I mean, that, that was that was the argument, you know, the, the equivalent uh, uh, cost of the, um, when the iPhone came out, uh, you know, in today's money was probably closer to $3,500. That's right. Oh, easily, easily. Yeah. It was because you were forced to take the two-year plan, plan and all that. So, yeah, it was incredibly expensive. Yeah. That started a whole thing. So my thinking is that the things that are going to happen in the next five to 10 years are things that you and I, even though we follow this stuff, have never heard of. Somebody's yeah. going to come out with some crazy thing that will probably eclipse VR and AI. But what it will be, will it be a new a way to meet women and interface with them? I don't know, probably something like probably that. Because <laughs> that, drives, that drives everything. Anyway, yeah, Bob, it does. a friendship of over a half a century. I'm glad that we're both alive to enjoy it. I, I, I'm glad uh, as well. And uh, you know, it, it, I, I cherish our relationship. It's great. And may this continue for as many years as possible. And next time we're going to do a jam on Walk, Don't Run, okay? I got it. Okay, we'll do that. All right, buddy.